This is a Federal News Network podcast. The following program is produced and furnished in conjunction with Derek Dorch of the Diversa Group, which is entirely responsible for its content. Welcome to Fed Access with Derek T. Dorch on Federal News Network. Now your host, Derek T. Dorch. Welcome to Fed Access with Derek T. Dorch on Federal News Network. Thank you for joining the show. We're always glad to have you. Today, we're going to be talking about defense issues. We're going to have on a special guest. We have John Harper, who's the managing editor of National Defense Magazine. We're going to be talking about what's going on in the defense industry right now. There's a number of different things John has been reporting on that I thought would be interesting for us to cover today. And so, John, welcome. Thanks for having me, Derek. Hey, John, you know, several things are going on in the defense industry. You guys have been real busy in terms of your coverage. And the first thing I wanted to cover, I saw some stuff on artificial intelligence that you were writing about. What's going on? About $25 billion is going to be needed for artificial intelligence. And what's going on with that right now? Yes, uh, according to some analysts, um, you know, to keep pace with great power competitors uh, or potential adversaries such as China and Russia, Uh, The U.S. government needs to be spending much more on artificial intelligence research and development uh, than it is right now. AI, as it's also known, is a top priority uh, for the Pentagon as it seeks to develop new uh, unmanned systems in particular uh, and other tools that can utilize uh, artificial intelligence and machine learning. Um, And according to a, a recent report by the Center for a New American Security titled The American AI Century uh, Blueprint for Action, they recommended that the U.S. government as a whole spend about uh, $25 billion per year by 2025. Uh, and to put that into perspective, today the federal government is spending about uh, $5 billion a year mm. on artificial intelligence, about $4 billion of that for uh, defense purposes. Wow. You know, that, that seems as if there's going to also be some new hiring that goes along with that, right, in terms of kind of $25 billion would bring in maybe some new experts on artificial intelligence. And also, too, John, when we think about artificial intelligence, what are we thinking about in terms of the defense industry? Are we looking at more kind of um, automated kind of uh, uh, systems or automated uh, jets, or what are we thinking about? Absolutely. Um, the Defense Department is uh, pursuing a variety of new uh, types of platforms, you know, unmanned ships, drones, including, you know, unmanned fighter jets, uh, which would be a significant advance beyond what the U.S. military has been fielding today, things like predator drones or reaper drones, mm-hmm. uh, that kind of thing. Uh, these would be you know, able to uh, escort or uh, accompany manned fighter jets into battle or potentially just go in uh, on their own without putting a pilot at risk. The uh, Army is also pursuing a family of robotic combat vehicles. Uh, that's another good example. So it's really uh, across the board, um, and it's not just for you know self-driving uh, or self-piloted uh, platforms, you know, like unmanned ships or unmanned submarines uh, or unmanned aircraft. You know, it, it could be to help uh, analyze intelligence, uh, mm-hmm. for example. Mm-hmm. Uh, the, the Pentagon has something called Project Maven, uh, which uses AI and machine learning to help sift through uh, hours and hours and hours of drone footage, for example, to help identify um, items of interest for intelligence analysts rather than having them just, you know, sit hours and hours and hours on end looking at the footage. They can use these technologies as sort of an enabler to help them do their jobs more efficiently. Hey, John, how 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 much in terms of reality, in terms of implementation, are we with AI right now? I mean, are we still in the research phase or are we already implementing AI 
in the defense industry right now? Um, well, there are some technologies uh, that are out there, uh, you know, Project Maven, um, as I noted. But for the most part, especially for some of these really advanced systems that the U.S. military envisions, uh, you know, those are still primarily in the R&D phase. Um, but there are a number of projects going on right now. And, uh, you know, just based on my discussions with officials and analysts, uh, there's been a lot of improvement in those areas. So, you know, later in this decade, you could see some of these systems uh, potentially being fielded and deployed, mm-hmm. some of the more high-end kind of exotic things that uh, we just discussed a minute right. ago. Right. You know, I was just thinking about the, the different countries. Is, is Do we feel that China and other countries are ahead of us, or are we just saying, listen, we need these resources to avoid falling behind them? I know China has been investing heavily in AI, and, and we hear different reports about that they may be uh, on the cusp of kind of being ahead of us. I mean, what what's, what are analysts saying about that right now? Well, there's certainly a concern that China in particular could um, achieve uh, uh, an advantage over the U.S. in that field. They're certainly uh, investing uh, a lot of money in that. Um, on a national level, you know, most people say that they're investing more than the United States. Uh, from a military perspective, it's difficult to measure because China is much more opaque uh, about their military investments than the United States is, Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. uh, for example. So it's kind of hard to determine where they are in terms of utilizing those kinds of technologies to build their own unmanned systems or or other platforms or, or capabilities that could utilize artificial intelligence. But there's certainly widespread concern that the U.S. could fall behind. And that's one reason why it's such a high priority for the Pentagon in terms of research and development and then ultimately uh, putting these systems into production. You know, based on what we've seen with the National Defense Authorization Act, do you do you think that more money will be invested in this in the future? I know the Pentagon and maybe other think tanks are asking for this, but do you think this will become a priority where there will be $25 billion invested in this? Well, it's hard to know whether it's going to ramp up that quickly, you know, going from $5 billion a year uh, for the federal government up to $25 billion a year, uh, you know, is a several-fold uh, increase, obviously. Mm-hmm. Uh, but I absolutely expect that uh, more money will be going into this than uh, presently. You know, as I said, one of the top uh, R&D priorities for the Pentagon in, in particular, just because of the military implications of this, technology and the advantages that a country would gain uh, from, you know, being able to acquire these, but also the potential disadvantages that a country would face if uh, one of their competitors developed and fielded uh, this technology before them. Sure, sure, sure. Is Silicon Valley prepared to, to handle this kind of stuff in terms of the contractors and everything else? I mean, do we already have the infrastructure to handle the AI stuff? I mean, is that is that something that they're putting RFPs out for not right now? Uh, the government is putting out RFPs for contracts. In the commercial sector, there's much more investment going into artificial intelligence uh, in places in, you know, like Silicon Valley mm-hmm. for uh, commercial purposes. And the Pentagon is certainly trying to tap into that. Uh, you know, they recognize that the private sector is going to be investing more than the Defense Department is able to into these particular technologies. Uh, so they've been courting firms in Silicon Valley. Google is an example. A couple of years ago, there was a, you know, that was sort of a high profile case where mm-hmm. uh, Google was involved in Project Maven, the, the program 
that I mentioned a minute ago that utilized uh, AI to sift through drone footage. Uh, but employees at Google uh, became upset about that and kind of protested uh, the company aiding the military with warfighting functions. So mm-hmm. Google ended up mm-hmm. pulling out of that. However, uh, you know, there are firms, uh, you know, large and small, uh, that are willing to work with the Pentagon. Uh, you know, Microsoft uh, and Amazon uh, are examples of uh, big tech firms that are, you know, willing to work with the U.S. military. The U.S. military has offices out in tech hubs like Silicon Valley and Austin and Boston through the what they call the Defense Innovation Unit, which mm. is really trying to build bridges with some of these commercial firms that okay. have technology that could be applied um, for U.S. military purposes. So that's certainly a big push okay. Uh, okay. among Pentagon leadership right now. We've got to take a quick break, but when we come back, we're going to be talking about cybersecurity. We've got John Harper on the line. He's from National Defense Magazine. He's a managing editor there. But we're talking about defense issues right now. We're talking about cybersecurity, artificial intelligence, and a number of other issues that are going on with the defense budget right now. So we'll be right back after this break. You're listening to Fed Access with Derek T. Dorch on Federal News Network. We'll be right back. Welcome back to Fed Access with Derek T. Dorch on Federal News Network. If you're just joining us, we've been talking about defense issues. We've been talking about a number of different issues right now. And the first thing we started off was with artificial intelligence. The foreign adversaries are plenty. We talked about China, Russia, and everything else. But now we're concerned about cybersecurity. John, what's going on in terms of these new cybersecurity standards for industry with defense? And what's going on with the Pentagon rolling these things out? Well, last week, the Pentagon put out this new set of standards called Cybersecurity Maturity Model Certification, or CMMC, which sounds boring, but <laughs> is a big deal for contractors. Okay. Um, okay. It's a new set of cybersecurity standards that eventually all defense contractors will uh, have to meet if they want to do business with the Pentagon. And what would the standards entail? The Defense Department has set up sort of a five-level system, uh, levels one through five. Mm-hmm. Low, uh, level one being, you know, sort of the lowest hurdle, um, and five being, uh, you know, the most uh, onerous in terms of uh, standards that companies would have to meet. Level one, you know, is what the Pentagon calls basic uh, computer hygiene, you know, things like, you know, do companies use antivirus software, mm-hmm. for example, or change their computer codes? You know, once you get up to level three, for example, the bar is much higher. For example, you know, at level one, there are 17 controls or standards that or qualifications that companies will have to meet. But once you get to level three, it's over 110 controls. So quite a ramp up there. And then levels four and five, uh, which are, you know, even more strict, will uh, apply to, you know, the most uh, sensitive uh, information and and, uh, technologies that companies are working on for the Defense Department. And all of this is to really prevent kind of adversaries like China to get, you know, where we're kind of getting attacked by China and, and people are getting hacked and everything else. Is this what this is for? Absolutely. Um, it, it's really to protect the uh, defense industrial bases, uh, computer networks, um, either from information theft um, by adversaries such as China. That's been a huge problem uh, or cyber attacks that you know would degrade uh, the industrial bases. Uh, computer networks. 
Um, and it's especially uh, of a concern on the lower tier of the supply chain. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. You know, for any given project, uh, a huge number of companies could, you know, play a role as vendors and either providing um, products or uh, services. I mean, there's a, still a concern about, you know, protecting the systems of the prime contractors, but you know, the smaller businesses might not have as robust cybersecurity measures in place, right. uh, which creates, uh, you know, a security risk. So that's a big aspect of this and a big motivator for the Pentagon to roll out these new standards. Well, you know, John, I was just thinking about small businesses. I mean, that's going to possibly be a big cost for small businesses. Will they be able to do this? I mean, is this going to be very, very costly or a big burden for small businesses who are trying to get defense contractors? Uh, it could certainly potentially be um, a big uh, cost burden for the smaller contractors, especially. It's unclear to me, just based on folks I've been talking to, exactly how much it's going to cost for companies to get certified. And, and the way it's set up now, or, or the plan is, you know, under this new construct, companies will have to be certified by uh, third party assessors, which mm. uh, the Pentagon is calling C-3PAOs, which sounds like a Star Wars robot. <laughs> I know. Um, that, that's the new acronym. Right, right, right. <laughs> <laughs> I was just thinking about that, um, too, right? <laughs> yeah, of course, they had to roll out, you know, a new acronym for this. The of Defense course. Department loves to do that. Um, as it's currently set up, you know, companies will be getting those certifications directly from these third-party assessors. The Defense Department will not directly be doing these assessments. So companies uh, could potentially you know, be on the hook or are expected to be on the hook uh, to some degree for both boosting their own cybersecurity uh, measures as well as paying these third-party assessors to get certified. And based on uh, conversations I've had with people you know, who are familiar with these issues, you know, I've seen estimates as high as Two hundred and fifty thousand dollars wow. to get certified. That's, that's uh, some that, people. That's a high and, amount of dollar. That's a do- high dollar amount right there, John. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. And I mean, other folks, you know, expect it to be much lower. I think some Defense Department officials, you know, at least in the past, thought it might be, you know, a few thousand dollars, mm-hmm. uh, which is obviously less burdensome than two hundred fifty thousand. Uh, but they are. The Pentagon is aware that you know, this could be uh, potentially cost prohibitive for small businesses if they have to foot the bill completely. So they're trying to figure out a way to, um, you know, increase cybersecurity kind of across the board, but not drive companies out of the defense marketplace. Right. Um, And, you know, one possibility could potentially be, you know, smaller companies getting reimbursed uh, through contracts for, for, you know, the cost that they incur to meet the new standards and get certified and everything. But it's not entirely clear right now how that's going to play out. And I think the Defense Department is still trying to figure out the best method of doing that. What's the timetable on rollout for this? Well, they're going to start uh, rolling out the new standards uh, on a limited basis this year. And it will only apply to future contracts, not existing contracts. But the Pentagon is taking, you know, what it calls a crawl, walk, run approach with this. Uh, so it's going to be rolled out over time. 
and uh, over the next five years. So by fiscal year 2026, all contracts, uh, you know, all uh, solicitations will include uh, the standards that have to be met. And it's, you know, a pass fail. It's, you know, they don't, there isn't a grade where they factor in, you know, where, you know, you know, they don't give you an ABC mm-hmm, kind of mm-hmm. thing. It's do you meet the standards or not? Right, and if right. companies don't, they can't get the contract. Wow. wow. Um, but as I said, it's going to be rolled out over time. I mean, I you know, Pentagon officials understand kind of the hurdles, you know, to fully implementing this. That's why it's, you know, even though this is a, a matter of urgency, uh, you know, they're still going to give, you know, roll this out over several years. Mm-hmm. It's not all going into place this year. But they will start including these standards, I think, for about 10 programs later this year. There'll be some solicitations going out to industry uh, that will include the new CMMC standards. And they're going to kind of see how that goes, continue to get feedback from, you know, trade associations like the National Defense Industrial Association, individual companies, uh, you know, and others who are affected by this. Mm -hmm. And I think we can expect that it's going to be tweaked over time. I mean, you know, this is called CMMC version 1.0. Okay. Which clearly implies that, you know, it'll (laughs) be... There's another one coming, yeah. uh, Over time. (laughs) Right, right. Absolutely. Well, John, we got to take a quick break. When we come back, I want to talk about the hypersonics. I know there's some things going on with that where budgets are kind of getting increased with hypersonics, and there's more investment going into that. We're talking to John Harper. He's the managing editor at National Defense Magazine. You can find their magazine at nationaldefensemagazine.org, but they cover all the things that are going on in the defense industry. If you want to learn about what's happening with defense and business, you can find it there. We'll be right back after this break. You're listening to Fed Access with Derek T. Dorch on Federal News Network. Welcome back to Fed Access with Derek T. Dorch on Federal News Network. If you just joined us, we have been talking about defense issues. We've been talking about it with the people who cover this on a daily basis. John Harper, he's a managing editor at National Defense Magazine. They cover the issues that are going on with defense and what's going on with defense budgets, what's going on with defense R&D, what's going on with defense uh, kind of new programs and everything else. But he's given us a breakdown of some coverage that he's been doing right now with the defense industry. We talked about artificial intelligence. We talked about cybersecurity. But now we're going to go into hypersonics. And, John, what's going on with hypersonics right now? What's happening in terms of kind of these eye-popping budgets that are happening right now? Well, the Pentagon is pumping a lot of money uh, into these uh, systems for research and development. It's the number one R&D priority for the Defense Department above all other technologies. Real quick, before you go and break it down, what are hypersonic weapons? I mean, you know, some people hear about hypersonic and they think about Star Trek, this, that, and other. What are hypersonic weapons? <laughs> right. Well, they have uh, two key uh, qualities that uh, really make them stand out. Um, one is that, you know, they are expected to fly at speeds of Mach 5 or faster, thousands of miles per hour. Um, but also, you, you know, one key feature of these that distinguishes them from more traditional weapons like, you know, traditional ballistic missiles or traditional cruise missiles uh, is their maneuverability, uh, just, you know, the way that they could maneuver in flight to evade uh, enemy missile defenses uh, and other defensive systems. Uh, to, you know, kind of put it into, uh, you know, a sports metaphor, if you will, it'd be as if, 
you know, when Patrick Mahomes threw a long pass downfield and mid-flight the ball just started zigging and zagging and <laughs> right. then ended up right in the receiver's hand. So, you know, it's tough enough to defend against his regular passes. Right, but, sure. You know, imagine sure, if, sure. yeah. If, 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 he, he, had, if he had hypersonic tech capabilities, right? <laughs> <laughs> right. So, I mean, with this, uh, this is the big R&D investment with defense industry right now. And so what are they looking to do? Are they putting more money into this? I see that, you know, they're talking about $404 million for one weapon. For you know, what, are they, what are they doing right now? Well, they're investing in a, a number of systems, and it's not just one service. You know, the Army, Navy, and Air Force are all pursuing these weapons. You know, they want uh, submarine launch surface ship launched, uh, air launched, uh, ground launched, uh, hypersonic weapons that they could deploy uh, around the world. Um, and there's a, a big concern that uh, China and Russia, for example, uh, could get out ahead of the United States and deploy these in large numbers first. Uh, China and Russia have been doing a lot of testing with these systems, so the Pentagon wants to make sure that it doesn't fall behind. People believe that these technologies could be a real game changer uh, and really alter the balance of power between those countries. Mm. So that's why this is, uh, you know, as I said, the number one R&D priority for the Pentagon. And they're spending, you know, billions of dollars already for these systems. And we're expecting a significant increase when the new uh, budget request comes out next week. You know, high-level officials, including Secretary of Defense Esper, have uh, you know telegraphed that that people can kind of expect funding for these to increase significantly in the coming years. Uh, not just for R and D, but once these go into production, the military services want to buy them in large quantities. Okay. So this could be a very lucrative market for the defense companies that work on these technologies uh, now and in the future. So I saw that they have a joint hypersonics transition office right now, and they're going to be working with some universities and doing some R&D work. So are they going to be working with like the MITs and other places like that trying to do this research? They are standing up uh, a consortium of universities uh, to facilitate this R&D work. Uh, in the most recent budget, they dedicated about $100 million uh, to support that. Uh, so they're really trying to tap into – uh, academia as well uh, as they pursue these technologies. Um, you know, they're looking far and wide. Uh, it's such a high priority. Mm -hmm. You know, John, I'm just thinking about, you know, we've heard a lot about the Space Force and, and the president just mentioned in, in the State of the Union. Is part of this part of the game plan for the Space Force as well, or we don't know right now? I mean, hypersonic seems as if they could possibly go into possible space development-type weapons, or is that still in transition? Well, when it comes to hypersonics, uh, right now the space component of that would be a new layer of uh, sensing technologies, you know, satellites that could track these weapons in flight. So it would primarily be, you know, uh, for defensive purposes, because not only is the military trying to develop their own offensive hypersonic weapons, they're also trying to defend against uh, potential Chinese or Russian hypersonic weapons. And so uh, for missile defense systems to work, the U.S. military needs to be able to track where enemy missiles are, are flying, especially these really fast uh, maneuverable weapons. 
so they are trying to build a, a new space sensing layer is what they call it. Um, in terms of, you know, deploying weapons and hypersonic weapons in space, uh, you know, as far as I know, there are no plans to do that right now. And just, you know, with regard to the Space Force overall, you know, initially this will be uh, primarily folks on the ground, you know, controlling satellites mm -hmm, and mm -hmm. things like that. I know some people, when they hear the word Space Force, they think of, uh, you know, a Star Wars type. Mm -hmm. A Star Trek or, or something Death like Star that. Or yep. whatever. Yeah. <laughs> right, right, right. Right, yeah, Millennium Falcon or mm -hmm, whatever. Mm -hmm. um, and, you know, initially that's not how this is going to be rolled out. The Space Force folks will primarily be on the ground monitoring those uh, technologies and working on new space technologies. Right. Uh, but, you know, in the near future, we're not going to have spacecraft with hypersonic weapons flying around in orbit, unless there's some really secretive program that <laughs> we're not aware of. Right, right, right. <laughs> you may have to get a new clearance to get on, to get on that information, John. Um, <laughs> right, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> hey, uh, it, with, with these hypersonic weapons, I mean, in terms of, is this still R&D right now, or have we gotten to the point of implementation? Are they already putting hypersonic weapons in the fleet, in the Navy, and, or is this more of an R&D dynamic in terms of getting the weapons stood up? Uh, it's mostly R&D right now. They've been doing flight testing, uh, and the technology is maturing. Okay. They haven't actually fielded it yet. Um, they're hoping to do that you know, here in the next few years. Uh, a variety of different systems, but it's a very complex technology. And just from, you know, an engineering perspective, these systems have to be able to survive these high speeds mm -hmm. that we've discussed and, you know, and uh, be able to maneuver and, you know, more so than some of the existing missiles out there. And so that puts a lot of stress on the airframe and uh, you know, they have to have advanced sensors as mm -hmm. well. Mm -hmm. So, you know, it's uh, it's not an easy thing to develop and, and roll out. Um, so it's still in the R&D phase now, but I think in the next few years, you will start to see the U.S. military deploying these either, on, you know, from ground launchers or on ships or, uh, you know, uh, on aircraft. But these are game-changing systems, would you say? I mean, based on the, what they're trying to do and where they're trying to go with these systems, this technology would be kind of game-changing in terms of defense industry, would it be? Um, absolutely. I mean, just, you know, uh, from a sort of military operational standpoint, defense officials, you know, are very clear that they view this as a potentially game-changing technology, not just from an offensive perspective, but uh, from a defensive perspective. Um, and it, billions of dollars are going to be going into this. So companies that are well-positioned to work on these technologies could be making a lot of money mm -hmm. on these projects in the future, especially, you know, uh, once they start uh, buying these in large quantities. Definitely. And definitely. That's, that's the plan right now. We have to take a quick break. We're going to talk about Iran when we come back. We're talking to John Harper. He is the managing editor of National Defense Magazine. You can find the information that John is talking about today in a number of different articles on nationaldefensemagazine.org. So check that out when you get a chance. But John has been covering the defense industry and what's going on with it, and we're going to talk about it a little bit more when we come back. Listen to Fed Access with Derek T. Dorch on Federal News Network. We'll be right back after this break. Welcome back to Fed Access with Derek T. Dorch on Federal News Network. We're talking to John Harper. He is from National Defense Magazine. He's a managing editor and he's been covering these defense issues that's been going on for quite some time. 
and we're breaking them down today about what's been going on. We've covered AI. We've covered cyber. We've covered hypersonic weapons. And now we're talking about Iran. We saw a number of different things happen with the Iran situation. Their general from the Cuts Force was killed by uh, by the president or authorized by the president to get killed. And we also saw a number of different issues happening in terms of Iraq and our embassy and everything else. So these tensions have been growing. And so, John, how are these tensions with Iran and then what's going on in Iraq? How is it going to affect defense spending? Are we going to put more money into these situations or what's going to go on? Well, that remains to be seen. Certainly a few weeks ago, tensions were running very high. There were, you know, attacks on U.S. military and diplomatic facilities in Iraq in December by Iranian-backed militias. Uh, The Trump administration launched a drone strike that killed uh, a high-ranking Iranian general, uh, Soleimani. And Iran then retaliated by launching ballistic missiles at Mm -hmm. uh, some U.S. bases in Iraq. Fortunately, it seems like everyone has kind of pulled back from the brink, at least for the moment. But certainly, you know, there's still a a danger there that the situation could escalate and uh, get out of control. And potentially there could be uh, a major war between the U.S. and Iran. Do we think right now in terms of maybe kind of defense spending or defense prioritization is this putting a new prioritization on the Middle East? I mean, of course, we've always been, you know, the president has talked about kind of pulling us out of the Middle East. But is now, are we looking at kind of putting more forces into this? I mean, are we going to be putting more resources into the Middle East and Iran? What's being talked about? Well, the military did uh, um, deploy additional forces over to the region um, a few weeks ago when uh, tensions were especially high, mm-hmm. you know, deployed new systems as well. Um, it remains to be seen exactly how this will affect military spending. You know, if there are more uh, troops deployed over there, uh, you know, more military platforms, you know, that does come with a cost, um, which could be folded into uh, what the Defense Department calls overseas contingency operations okay. funding. You know, that could be in the you know, low billions of dollars. It might not necessarily be a huge amount, depending on what happens. If there were a major war, then I think you'd see defense spending skyrocket, you know, well above Mm -hmm. where it is now. Mm -hmm. And I think that's, you know, analysts uh, tend to agree uh, on that. I know there was a there was an emphasis on protective measures, and, and we know well. We found out later on that after the um, ballistic missile attack from Iran, that a number of our troops kind of suffered maybe traumatic brain injury or things of that sort. Are those protective measures either for our bases or our embassies, or what's that for? Um, the protective measures, yes, would be to protect things like embassies. Uh, you know, potentially reinforce. Uh, U.S. military bases or mm-hmm. other locations where U.S. troops are located, try to, you know, protect U.S. citizens and allies as well. You know, with all of that, in terms of where things are going, is this kind of a kind of a sit and wait? Are we, I mean, is this kind of an anticipation situation, John, or, or uh, you know, do we kind of think about maybe in the next couple of months as things go through Congress, the Pentagon's going to be asking for more money as it relates to Iran and, and other areas? I mean, what what are we anticipating coming up? Um, well, the forces over there now, I think, uh, you know, were sent there um, as a precaution just in case the situation escalated. It's possible that uh, the Trump administration could 
request uh, additional funding to support those measures that have been taken. Um, right now, I don't know that we'll see a huge increase. Um, there could be a push by some lawmakers on the Hill, uh, particularly uh, some of the more um, hawkish folks to you know, ramp up defense spending uh, because of the current situation there. Uh, however, I don't think the Pentagon wants to divert a large amount of uh, the funding that it's going to receive uh, to the Middle East. There's been kind of a pivot uh, to focus on China and Russia, which the national defense strategy identifies as uh, America's two the great critical. power mm -hmm. competitors. So, mm -hmm. for, right, absolutely. So, for example, you know, these R&D programs we've talked about uh, are primarily focused on the China and Russia threat. Um, you know, it's possible the Pentagon could ask for even more money to support these Iran uh, um, or protective measures related to the uh, Iran uh, scenario. Um, but I think you're going to continue to see the focus uh, primarily on China, especially uh, and Russia as well. John, does that... Uh, but the new... Uh, Sorry, go ahead. No, keep on going. Go, 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 go ahead. Uh, the uh, fiscal year 21 uh, budget request is expected to drop next week, and so we'll have more insight into how much the Pentagon thinks it's going to need to spend uh, to support its deployments uh, in the Middle East. So stay tuned for that. Sure. You know, as I was thinking, um, it seems as, if, you know, because we're looking towards Russia and China more, are we moving away from terrorism? Are we moving away from kind of the SOCOM dynamic where for the past, you know, 15, 20, I mean, 15 years or so, all the emphasis was on Special Operations Command and putting energy into, you know, our special operators and, and the war on terrorism. Are we starting to see a shift Absolutely. You know, terrorism is still uh, a concern, certainly, um, you know, groups like ISIS um, and other uh, non-state actors. But the shift really the la in the last couple of years has been uh, toward China and Russia. The uh, new national defense strategy came out um, in 2018, and that really refocused the U.S. military's attention, uh, you know, as you noted, for the last 20 years or so since 9-11, mm -hmm. uh, counterterrorism was the primary focus and drove a lot of the spending, a lot of the technology development. Um, but now there's a focus on these, you know, high-end adversaries that are going to bring a lot of sophisticated technology uh, to their military force structure and potentially into any you know, future fight uh, against the U.S. military. And so now the U.S. wants new next-generation systems uh, of its own uh, to be able to counter those threats, you know, things like hypersonic weapons, mm -hmm. um, you know, unmanned fighter jets, things that in a, you know, counterterrorism operation might not be as critical, but if you're going against a great power competitor, as they call it, you know, the uh, tech race is going to be really critical. You know, that also brings a concern about our, our industrial base. Are we ready? I know that that report came out about Vital Science 2020. Are we ready to surge production in wartime if we had if we kind of went into a wartime footing 
with a Russia or a China? Uh, what, what's, what, what's the situation right now with that? Well, analysts say that uh, the U.S. would face uh, a number of challenges in terms of uh, its industrial base being able to ramp up production of, of key systems and other technologies. Uh, the, uh, as you noted, the uh, new Vital Signs report, which the National Defense Industrial Association uh, just put out this week, um, you know, it, uh, the uh, readiness of the defense industrial base was given a C grade uh, overall among a number of different categories. Wow. And that particular report found that, um, you know, about 27% of suppliers would face a real challenge surging production. Um, and analysts, you know, uh, have picked out certain uh, types of uh, systems or technologies that would face uh, particular uh, difficulties in terms of, uh, you know, increasing their production. Uh, shipbuilding, for example, uh, would be challenged. Uh, aircraft production uh, as well. And missiles, uh, just given the uh, number of suppliers, the number of production lines, um, and just the uh, the overall uh, robustness of the supply chain, uh, you know, especially you know, when you look kind of across the board that, you know, lower tier mm-hmm. uh, vendors a- as well who supply technologies for a lot of these critical systems, um, you know, there is a, a great deal of concern um, in uh, the U.S. military and just, um, you know, among uh, other observers of the U.S. national security uh, that th- that could be a real problem. And, you know, we've been talking about great power competition with China and Russia um, you know, during the counterterrorism operations, for the most part, the U.S. military didn't face a huge surge requirement. Um, uh, there was an example of one, uh, the uh, mine-resistant uh, ambush-protected uh, family of vehicles, also mm-hmm. known as MRAPs. Mm-hmm. There was a huge ramp-up in production of that as uh, you know, U.S. troops uh, were getting killed and injured by impro- improvised explosive devices, mm-hmm. right, the IEDs. Um, but for the most part, you know, for example, there didn't have to be a big surge in fighter jet production or... Or missiles uh, you know, or, or um, ships, major, major programs. Right. They didn't... Right. They didn't have to build a ton of new uh, destroyers or aircraft carriers or anything to, you know, handle those types of operations. Um, but, you know, in a great power competition where there's a lot of attrition of U.S. forces, you know, a lot of aircraft or ships getting destroyed, uh, tanks, those types of systems, you know, the U.S. would really be challenged to replace those in a timely manner hmm. just because of the some of the bottlenecks in the industrial base, uh, consolidation in the industrial base that's occurred over the years where there's a smaller number of suppliers. Uh, you know, that would pose uh, some real challenges. Is this going to be kind of a, um, and, and I know that the National Defense Industrial Association kind of put this report out, but do you think this is going to be part of the, the Defense Department's new budget and kind of saying, listen, we do have these shortfalls in terms of production and we have to now kind of deal with that? Will there be more resources kind of put into either vendors or uh, the supply chain? I mean, where where do we see this go? I think you could see the Defense Department um, and the uh, federal government writ large trying to deal with some of these bottlenecks that have been identified. Um, 
you know, it's unclear what the scope of that will be. Um, one complicating factor is that, you know, while uh, the Defense Department, you know, certainly doesn't want there to be these uh, supply shortages or challenges with the industrial base, they also want to spend, uh, you know, uh, as small amount of money as possible to uh, acquire its systems just because of budgetary constraints. They want to get the most bang for their buck. And so, you know, when uh, price is a big factor in these industry competition for these contracts, that disincentivizes companies to invest in a lot of excess production capacity that's right. just going to be sitting idle, likely, um, in peacetime. And it's unclear, you know, if, uh, at least in the short term, if that situation is really going to be um, addressed. Um, you know, as I said, the, you know, the Pentagon has a lot of priorities. They mm -hmm. want to get the most bang for their buck. Uh, you know, price is a, a big factor in these industry competitions. You know, which company can deliver uh, the system that the U.S. military is looking for at the cheapest price. Um, and, you know, at the same time, industry doesn't want to have to spend a lot of its own money to maintain production facilities just in case there does need to be a surge in production. And so that uh, could be uh, a difficult problem to address uh, on a large scale. As I noted, you might see uh, certain investments being made to bolster certain parts of the supply chain. And there are authorities in place to do that, and we could see some additional funding for that. But I don't know that it's going to address the problem on a larger scale uh, for the reasons that I just mentioned. John, critical issues ahead in 2020, and we're going to have to have you back definitely to cover these issues later on. I know you're off to the next thing where you're going to be covering something else. Hey, any, hey just, what, just, just kind of a, a, an advanced thing, what else are you covering kind of in the near future, John? Well, on Monday, the uh, uh, administration's defense budget request for 2021 is expected to drop. Um, so that'll be a huge news story. You know, that will kind of lay out what the Defense Department uh, wants to invest in uh, for the coming year, you know, from our R&D projects, you know, the hypersonic weapons we just talked about, uh, to ships, aircraft. Uh, ground vehicles, you know, everything the U.S. military uh, is working on. And we'll see, you know, how much additional money uh, that they're asking for, what their top priorities are, what's going to happen with specific programs, you know, and that applies to the Army, Navy, Air Force, Marine Corps, uh, Space Force. Um, so that is going to be something that's watched closely by everyone really across the national security community, whether it's contractors, uh, officials, think tank folks, um, uh, you know, other analysts. Uh, so that really next week is going to be uh, the big news story. I'm sure you'll see uh, a lot of stories coming out about all the different aspects of that. 
Sounds good, including John. Including from us. So, uh, yeah, without question. We'll, so read national, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> read nationaldefensemagazine.org next week, and you'll see some stories about that. We'll be checking you out, John, and we'll definitely have you back to cover these issues. Thank you. Thank you so much for being on the show. We've covered a number of different issues. Make sure you check out National Defense Magazine. Make sure you check out John Harper. He's a managing editor there and has some good coverage on these defense issues. Thank you so much, John. You've been listening to Fed Access with Derek T. Dorch from Federal News Network. We'll be back next week. You've been listening to Fed Access with Derek T. Dorch on Federal News Network. Tune in Monday afternoons at 1 or subscribe to this show on iTunes or Podcast One. This holiday, whether you're making a Baker's Simple Truth Turkey for 40 or a Murray's Baked Brie for 2 Baker's has fast, fresh delivery and free pickup, so you can make holiday meals that bring you all together to create memories that last. Baker's, fresh for everyone. Free pickup on orders of $35 or more. Restrictions may apply. Get more ways to save at the Buy 5 or More Save $1 each sale. Just buy 5 or more participating items and save a dollar each with card. Baker's, fresh for everyone.